Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and Beaches Vacation.com. Quickly into the Ashley Pine Floors text line at 7804960063. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Pine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. Bob, with the trees we have coming on the back end, like Broberg, Samarukov, Niemelein, and Deharnay and Kesseling, uh, you would think you would he- hear even more of your legendary tree planting stories. That one comes to us from Curtis and Wainwright. Uh, no, uh, the trees is Ken Holland's term, not my term. Uh, and Broberg, uh, the owner is going to have a big defense in years to come. There's no question. Like, it's inevitable that this is going to occur. But I don't see a lot more tree he's, planting. He's too agile to be considered a tree, in my opinion. Broberg? Yeah. So you got Nurse at 6'4", Bouchard at 6'2". CeCe's, what, 6'3"? He's easy 6'3". Easy 6'3". Kulak is 6'2". Uh, so, you know, let's just operate in the context. N- Nurse and CC top pairing, 6'4 and 6'2, and 6'2 and 6'2 if they go Kulak and uh, uh, Kulak and Bush, Bouchard. And then I Broberg 6'4 with Barry. And then you have a 6'1 and a half, Ryan Murray. With Nimalainen at 6'5, Day Herney at 6'7, who for me, those are the two. I, I know that Sam Rukov was a higher pick. But I've actually got Nima Line and, and uh, uh, Deherney ahead of Sam Rukov. And I, and I know that Sam Rukov's on a one-way deal. Let's do this. Let's bring in our next guest, David Staples, Cult of Hockey. David, how are you doing? Fantastic, Bob. How are you doing? Good. You wrote a piece this week uh, about the Oilers moving on from Ethan Bear and what was a highly contentious move at the time, Caleb Jones and Matt Benning. And the, the question I have for you is, did they lose out on letting those guys go, or did they let out a trio of third-pairing defensemen? Bob, it's interesting. You know you know from following the team as closely as you do that there, there are factions of fans in this city who, when each of those players were traded, Benning, Caleb Jones, and Bear, they were all... Uh, just saying this is a disaster. The Oilers are trading a young defenseman who's about to step into the top four and be a top four D-man in the NHL for a long time. And they and they had the numbers to prove it, and they were absolutely convinced this was going to happen. And and it's the same thing. We've seen this in the past. You know, we saw this with Martin Brinson. He was, there was the same, same fans who had the same belief about him. Um, and um, we had the same thing about Jeff Petrie. And the thing with Jeff Petrie is it kind of came true. Now, Jeff Petrie was already a top four D-man in Edmonton and had been for a couple of years when he was let go. But people, it, once something really dramatic like that happens in the history of the franchise where you get rid of, uh, they got a second and a fourth round pick for Petrie, where that happens, and when he goes to another city and becomes a bunch, much better player, as happened with Petrie Montreal, people fixate on that. So we, we've had this in our heads. And, and so every time a third-pairing D-man is traded away, we're worried that's going to happen. And usually what happens is the guy just remains a third-pairing 
defenseman. You know, a great player traded away will be a great player in another city. A good player will be a good player. They don't tend to move that much. Jeff Petrie is the exception, not the rule. And what we saw with Ethan Barry, Caleb Jones, and Benning, Benning's been away for uh, two seasons now and just signed in San Jose, is they're still third-pairing defensemen, just like they essentially were in in Edmonton. Bear played top four for one year in Edmonton, as you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, in his he he played fewer minutes last season in Carolina than he played in Edmonton. Jones ticked up a bit, but still definitely third-pairing on a bad team. Uh, ticked up, but still third-pairing. And Matt Benning's uh, career third-pairing. Uh, all right. So let's 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 circle back to we're going to talk about Jeff Jeff Petrie and Justin Schultz. There was a faction of media that did not like quote-unquote soft defensemen, and they led a lot of the narrative on Petrie. Uh, and, and so I'm telling you right now that there were a couple guys out there, ironically, I would say that uh, one or two of them might not be the, the actual hardest-driven, uh, relentless guys themselves but they they had this perception you know you know this guy's got limitations to his game and he's soft and i was we're, we're getting to the point where you don't call a player soft anymore like we're, we're now sensitive to, i will tell you in jeff petrie's uh, uh i personally believed that petrie had a lot of room to grow as a player okay and and you know that david because you listen to shows i believe that petrie could go some places um in Justin Schultz, he went from Edmonton. I think that Petrie and Schultz were in different situations. Like, I think Justin Schultz got beat down a little bit here, and I think he was ready for a fresh start. Uh, and he was, I mean, in a perfect world, he's a third-pairing right-shot guy that's a second-unit power play guy. That's who Justin Schultz is. He did play top four minutes at times in Pittsburgh. He won a couple Stanley Cups, right? So, I mean, Petrie got to a higher place because of his size and his athleticism than Justin Schultz did. In Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear, they weren't as good of prospects to begin with as either of those two guys. Like, Petrie was a second-rounder. Justin yeah. Schultz was a second-rounder. As it turned out, the Oilers had a great 2015 draft, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth round picks. They got Jones in the fourth, Bear in the fifth, and they got Marino, who once Pete Chiarelli was gone, wasn't going to sign in Edmonton as a sixth round pick. So, you know, the fact that they made it to the NHL was an accomplishment. I do think that Caleb had some athleticism. He had one terrific game in Vancouver. I think, and I'm trying to think of who he was paired up with, but they were like, the shot share in the game was ridiculous. Ethan Bear is an interesting one. If if he's got it, if he's got everything going for him, he and and I, and I mean everything going for him, he's smart enough to be a top four defenseman. Okay, he yeah, went to care. But everything has to be perfect for him to be that guy. Whereas in Petrie's case, he had such superior athleticism that you could see. You know, he was big and rangy, and he could skate. You could see that it was there. So they're all like, like here's the thing. And now I'm gonna, and now I'm gonna circle back to the here and now. And in Matt Benning's case, Matt Benning, if he's in your third pairing, he's an effective player because he keeps his head above water and he's smart. He's smart, right? He has physical limitations, but he is a smart player, which is why he's always a plus player. That's part of the reason why he's always a plus player, which I find intriguing with Murray. I want to. So in relation to, does is Edmonton's cupboard? Did they make the right call on Baron Jones in the same year and Benning the year before? You tell me. Oh, I mean, I think it's. I I just think it's. We have these examples like Petrie that that really 
impact our skew our view I think and that that so that worry is there but I think generally speaking if you've had a player in your system for four or five six years and he's percolating along uh, first in major junior college and then in the AHL and then you try him out in the NHL in a number of different roles you're going to see moments with each of those players where you think hey there might be a top four D-man here if he's been in there that in your system that long where, where you're where you're hopeful something's coming along but if you keep if you try him out in that role a few times and it doesn't work and he's third pairing third pairing keeps getting bumped down I think that's a clear message and and generally speaking you're not going to be wrong if he hasn't made it establish himself in your top four here it's not likely he's going to do it elsewhere it doesn't mean it never happens and it doesn't mean it still can't happen for those players but I think the Oilers definitely made the right call you have to have turn on your team you've got you know you have new prospects coming up we have all these new guys that you you were just mentioning the trees we have philip broberg coming up we have these players need to get an opportunity you need to see if, if one of them can make the jump into the top four and um i mean it's a possibility it, it could happen but no i think they definitely made the right call bob i want to ask like this this thing with the the, the media guys I know that they really take obsession when when that's said, that they drive them out of town. And the way I see it is it's the coaches who, the media guys get their information from the coaches and the GMs and the scouts and the NHL insiders. They're heavily influenced, I think, by things that are set off the record behind the scenes by people running the team. And I just think they're passing on what they're hearing. Like, I don't think it's the media running them out. I think it's the people in the franchise who don't like these players. And there's factions who don't, and they're, and they're moving them on. That's what I think is the, the, the dynamic. Uh, I would suggest to you that in the case of Jeff Petrie, there was a misread from some people that did not understand how high his ceiling was. Okay? Yeah, I'm, telling, I'm telling you that right now. That if you watched him on a day-to-day basis and were at home and on the road with him and watched him in practice, you could see, okay, he's he's growing, he's he's going to learn, he's going to continue to be, a, uh, you know, a good defenseman. And he was and, – and I honestly believe that there were some people that were unnecessarily hard on Petrie. And I think we've changed with the expectation of what we want out of defense now from 2015 or 16 or whenever he got traded. I just think we're at, what what year did he get traded during the fourteen fifteen season? Yeah, it was 20, fourteen. Yeah. It was fourteen. So McTavish is running the team, right? Yeah. right? And he, he we know from who he drafted, and he was right. He wanted bigger, heavier players. He drafts Drysaddle and Nurse, a huge benefit to the Oilers franchise yes. from Craig McTavish. Yes. But that's what he wanted, and he he didn't. I don't think he saw Petrie in the same light. I think that yeah. and I think he's the guy who who moved on from Petrie because he just didn't think this is the kind of guy you went with in the NHL. And I think what's well, and and, I, and I, the other thing is, I think the game's changed. You need to be able to move. Now, here's here's where it gets interesting with what Edmonton now has. Um, nurse, and it's funny with Nurse because he has his detractors, and some people can't separate the money from the defenseman. And Nurse does have the inherent toughness required. Uh, he he's clearly got character. He had a huge, and it might turn out to be a statistical anomaly year in terms of what he did a couple of years ago, goal scoring wise, but. He's he is a legit all day bare minimum number two defenseman in the National Hockey League at six foot four. Bouchard is going to put up huge numbers when he takes over the power play on a full time basis. It's just inevitable. You're not eleventh in the league at even strength scoring five on five. Once you go out on that power play with Edmonton's power play, which has been first, first, and third the last three years, he's going to hit the home run. Like he could be a sixty plus point defenseman. CC. Got to give the Pro Scouts credit, David. 
got to give those guys sure. credit. He was better than everybody thought. And you know who else was better than everybody thought? A guy who can he or can he not play a top four role for Edmonton? Brett Kulak. You tell me. Because I think, I'll be honest, when I, I was like, <laughs> you know, and I, and Brad Holland's like, Bob, Brett Kulak's a pretty good defenseman. He can, well, you know, he's, he stepped up for Montreal in the playoffs when they had injuries last year. He goes, I'm telling you, the guy can defend. He's, he's, he, he's excellent at, um, eliminating zone entries and those sort of and sure enough when we saw him here I mean he really elevated Tyson Berry so David can he be a, a top 4 D-man what do you think well this is this is what I'm I'm starting to think about because we're thinking about Jones Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear and, and Benning they were always third pairing defensemen they still are they've yet to make the move well Kulak if you look at his career he's always been um, generally speaking he's when you look at his minutes played he's around 18 minutes and he's generally been uh, you number, know, five. Glimmers, number five. Been number five. He's been, but on the, so on the third pairing, number five. And so you know, they sign him, and I, I saw him play in the playoffs. He and Tyson Berry were outstanding in the role that they had. They really got the job done. So I'm starting to think, yeah, maybe this guy can be a second pairing D man. He look, you know, like maybe he'll do what Cody Cece did. And by the way, I don't know who gets the credit for CC if it's Brad Holland or Archie Henderson or, or who that was. But yeah, well, Archie was part of Archie was part of the pro staff at that time. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So can he make it public? Like I'm I, in my mind is CC, but CC's kind of another unicorn, a guy who suddenly steps up and becomes onto the top pairing and does a really good job. And um, so I'm thinking, yeah, maybe Kulak can do what CC did, but that would be exceptionally. <laughs> Uh, good luck or exceptionally good scouting all of a sudden for the Edmonton Oilers for that to happen because it's very rare for you to bring in a player who's 24 or 25 who suddenly steps up from being a bottom pairing guy or an HL guy and plays in your top four. I mean, in the Oilers franchise history, it's probably happened like it's happened with Jason Smith, Craig Muni, Igor Kravchuk in the the 90s, and then CeCe. And and it's hard to think of other examples of guys who came in at that age, 23, 24, from other, uh, even 25, came in from other franchises and stepped up from a from a lower role into the top four. So so Cody Cece's like I, I hope that's the case that uh, Kulak can follow is in his footsteps. And I just want to add well, one Cece, thing about wait Donald. a sec. Cece was twenty seven when he did it. He wasn't twenty three or twenty four. Correct. He was yeah. He was twenty eight when he got here. So so he's kind of still right at the end of kind of mid career where a player might still be able to. And step Kulak's twenty eight as well. Like those guys, Kulak, have, they've yeah. they've gone. They've gone through their mistake. Like, you know, I used to have a friend that used to talk about, you know, girls going through their nightclub years. And you want, right? He's like, you want to date, date girls after Where are you going, get, Bob? Where are you going? Uh, yeah, you know, and I joke around. I go, I've never heard that term before. And, and, I, and what happens with defensemen is at, uh, that one's on you, Doug. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, when, I, when I'm talking about defensemen, you know, you get through those mid-20s years where you have growing pains, where you realize what you are. And I think that's what's happened with CC and also with Kulak, David. But so, but most guys don't step up when they're 28. Even like if they're going to step up, you know, it, it usually happens fairly early, and then there's top four for their career. And so, CC's, you know, he he was of course in the top pairing in Ottawa. He just didn't do a very good job at it. So um, the, maybe the move he made isn't that spectacular. Hey, I just want to say something about Nurse. People saying he's overpaid. Bob, was there more underpaid player, or you know, he's on the top 10 list for underpaid players for the last five years in the NHL. He kept signing short-term deals to help out the team, and and you know he. 
he was helping out himself, of course, but he, he was probably underpaid by about 15 to $20 million over the last, you know, for the first part of his NHL career because he kept signing these contracts instead of going longer term. He, the Oilers got a tremendous bargain out of Darnell Nurse. And, I, you know, he, he played tougher minutes, I think, according to uh, the Wood guy, the Wood money chart. He played tougher minutes than any other defenseman in the NHL, I believe, this past season. So, um He's a, he's a true number one D-man, and, and I just don't buy any... At this point, I don't buy any other argument, and I just think it's because he was injured, people are down on him in, from the playoff performance, and I just think it's recency bias. Uh, that guy's a true number one D-man. All right. We have, by the way, we had a couple texts asking, saying that they'd heard that Broberg wasn't going to go to Penticton. Um, I, I have stated that we could see as many as four uh, first-round picks for Edmonton in Penticton at the rookie tournament. Broberg along with uh, Holloway, Borgo, and Schaefer, the last four first-rounders uh, could be there. So I, I do expect at this time uh, Broberg to, to be going. Um, is this a, Are the Oilers entering into a different place here, having these sort of prospects percolating, David? Definitely. So, and, and, it, and it's interesting, Bob, because it could be a really, really good sign for the franchise that you have this, this so many first-round draft picks uh, percolating in your farm system, in your organization. Uh, it could be a really, really good sign, but it could also be kind of a, a bad sign in that they're not good enough to make the big team. Because the last time, so the last time the Oilers had in their t- kind of top five prospects, as they do this year, their top five prospects this year, they've got uh, four first-round draft picks. They've got uh, Holloway, uh, Broberg, Borgo, and Schaefer. So the last time this happened was, two, was 2008, and this is going off um, Alan Mitchell Lowtide's uh, prospect list because he was one of the few people who kept him back then, his top 20. And that, that was the last time the Oilers had four guys, first-round picks in their top five, and they were Riley Nash, Jordan Eberle, Robbie Shrimp, and Alex Plant. So this was a, a period of time when the Oilers um, just drafted poorly and even then, those guys weren't good enough to break in with the with the Oilers. I mean, that wasn't a terrible team in 2008. It was kind of yeah. okay-ish. But uh, the, that was the last time we had all these first-round picks playing in the farm system. So um, it, I, I think it's probably better news this time. I, I see a lot more potential. Uh, I think it's going to turn out better for this group of four players than it did for that group of well, four players. Well, David, I had a column in the Edmonton Sun at that time because I wasn't yeah. working for the Oilers. And the night of the 2007 draft, I hammered Edmonton for drafting Alex Plant 15th and Riley Nash 21st. Okay? I mean, I crushed the scouts and said enough. Were you watching those guys, or what were you basing it on? I believe I wrote that Alex Plant had the foot speed of Jim Weimer. <laughs> okay? I, I watched Alex Plant play at the Calgary uh-huh. Hitmen, and uh, Carl Alsner was the guy in Calgary that everybody wanted. He went fifth. He went one pick before the orders to Gagne at six. Yeah. I had not seen Riley Nash um, in Salmon Arm, but I had concerns about where that was going to end up going. Okay? Yeah. With Riley Nash, I'd already heard some. He was represented by Kurt Overhart. I knew he was going to go to college for a couple of years, and I was thinking to myself, "Hmm." Uh, Shrimp was, you know, I mean, we used, you know, we used to do total sports back then, and Robbie Robbie Shrimp was a bit, I mean, not as good a player as Pulley Arby, but it, it was a tease because he had that unique skill set. And it didn't ultimately come to fruition. Now, ironically enough, they did hit on Devin Dubnik. It just took a little bit more time. Who was another first rounder who was not with the Oilers in 2007, by the way. Not He was not there yet uh, in the organization. So they would have had actually five. Um, 
But I recall writing the night of the Kevin Prendergast was the director of amateur scouting. Steve McGregor had not moved into uh, the head scouting role yet for the Edmonton Oilers, and I yeah. pretty much eviscerated them in a piece uh, because I wanted to draft more skill and take more sc- more swings on. And I wasn't sure. I didn't. I, with Plant, I saw him play, and knew, to be honest with you, as a pro player. Alex Plant was tougher and more competitive than I thought he was going to be, but lacked the offensive game that he sort of teased at the time uh, that he was with the Calgary Hitmen. Like, I didn't think he had any competitive juice in his game at all. Uh, and then in Nash's case, I knew right away that it, it was... And, you know, somebody somebody reached out to me yesterday and said, would you bring Nash in on a PTO? Uh and I would say maybe I, I would just I, I might consider it if we're talking a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar player just because he can play center and he played eight playoff games for the Tampa Bay Lightning who are a pretty good team this year so I'd have to consider it uh, but I know for a fact that the agent didn't believe in the Oilers enough to put him in their farm system for three years because that's where he ended up in Charlotte with Carolina so inter- interesting sir like I flat out wrote it in the Edmonton Sun and in fact got a call that night from people in the Oilers organization. So to, it, to, a, to pat you on the back? Do you, do you think it was to pat me on the back? <laughs> I, I, I no, said they I were like the know. Kansas City Royals. <laughs> they weren't going for home runs. They were trying to advance runners uh, one base at a time. And that wasn't how Moneyball worked. And Has it ever worked out taking a checker in the first round, like in the in the baby Bob Gainey? I don't know. Like was he a checker in in junior hockey? Maybe it does. The rare exception you can draft a checking hockey player, and he will turn out uh, as an NHLer. But I agree. Like you know, in the orders, they did that in the through the 2010s. They took Travis Awanik in the th- second or third round. Of fourth. High pick. He was a fourth round pick. And um, they took. No, he might have been a third Maraz. round pick. Yeah, I think he was they took. They took Maraz in the second, and they took Musil in the second. The Musil pick was quite a contentious battle internally. Uh, the Maraz pick, there was fairly uniform perspective on sharing. David, I cut you off there and rambled a bit. How do people follow you? Uh, they follow me at D Staples on. Twitter, Travis Awanek, third round, 74th overall. So He was a third round pick. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Colin says, for Staples, the number one defenseman can't be your second best uh, defensive defenseman nor your third power play option. Uh, Nurse is good, not elite. And another texter says, Staples is so patient with you, Bob. <laughs> we didn't even talk about politics today and parole boards and those sort of things, David. Uh, Oh, God. That was a terrible thing with the parole board letting that guy loose. It's bad. It's a tough job. That is a tough job. It's like predicting, you know, know, it's difficult to predict the future with any individual is what I would say about hockey drafts and parole boards. So There you go. David, thanks for your time, man. We'll do it again. Thanks, Bob. Bye. All right. uh, 127 in Edmonton off to a global news weather traffic update uh, with Eileen Bell back with John Shannon, our NHL insider for Legacy Heating and Cooling.